boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammerlock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Mike, it's a big week, episode 30 of the Total Bees She's Show. I'm excited, and we're doing something a little bit different this week, and this is sort of your brainchild, and I really like it. Well, to illustrate how big of a show and how big of a number number 30 is, I thought we should cut every corner imaginable, <laughs> do absolutely no show prep, have me not in studio, and I'll just call it in to show how important episode 30 is. But in all honesty, it actually was a lot of work because we had to go through all of the mailbag questions that we have not answered and create a mega, uh, mega Mary Brown's mailbag. And, and it's going to be fun. I, I don't know all the questions that are going to be asked. So if my questions or if my answers are way out in left field, it's not my fault. I had no idea what was going to be asked. Yeah. And you know, that's just a testament to the Mary Brown's mailbag, how it's been taking off like big time, like our inbox and the Twitter and all that is overflowing with, with questions. And so, sometimes we, like we, we get the cherry pick. We're lucky. We get to cherry pick the good ones each and every week and they're all good. So it's, it's really tough, but now we've got uh, a few left in the hopper and we want to get to them. So, uh, it's actually your fault because you limit it to only three answers a week. That's true. Because you're always worried about time. So it's not my fault that we don't answer five or six. That's true. And that three or four go left unanswered. I don't like unanswered questions. I'm a communicator. I believe if you ask me a question, I should give you an answer. But sometimes that hasn't happened. So today we're going to do some catching up. All right, let's do this. It's time for the mega Mary Brown's mailbag. Mary Brown's Crave Delicious. Has 14 Manitoba locations? Mary Brown's Chicken. Who only uses Manitoba chicken? Mary Brown's Chicken. And who only uses Manitoba grown potatoes hand cut in store? I bet you've already guessed. Even Mary Brown's coleslaw is made fresh in store from whole carrots and cabbage. Download Mary Brown's app today and take advantage of money saving deals and even a secret menu. You can order ahead to get your Mary Brown's faster. Mary Brown's Chicken. Crave delicious. Question one coming in from Ryan. This one coming in to our inbox, totalbshees at gmail.com. Triple H has been in his role as head of WWE programming for a little over three months now. What kind of grade do you give him? Ooh, well, I have actually no foundation to offer a grade because it isn't me he's trying to impress. As a lapsed fan, he hasn't drawn me completely back in. But I would say WWE has been better. The guys are more motivated and inspired. The viewers are tuning in in bigger numbers. And for all those reasons, I'd give them an A+. Now, if stock price is going up at the same rate, then yes, definitely A+. They're going into a key season. The Royal Rumble to WrestleMania season is the most important time. Laying the foundation now for what should be a really good spring season. A+, Triple H. All right, and and, so, and you mentioned the stock price, and this is not a recommendation for anybody else, but you, as Mike Davidson, a guy who also, uh, like myself, is in the stock market, would you buy stock right now? Just you as an individual. Uh, WWE, yeah, I probably actually would. I haven't, but I would look at it, and I'll tell you why. It's got a small dividend. It's held steady, steady. I don't think it's ever gone below $47 American in the last four or five years. And it's gone as high as 90. And I think it's steady around the high fifties right now. 
it always goes up between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. So it's a good time to buy and then sell in a, in about three months. Uh, so yeah, I probably, I probably would. In fact, I should be looking at WWE stock right now. I'm going to put that on my list. Thank you, Chris. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you're the one who, uh, who got me. You're the one who got me when you mentioned the stock there. I was like, you know what? I haven't looked at it for a while. I think I better get on that. Um, okay. Moving yeah. on now. Question two from uh, one of our favorites, one of the OGs of the show, super fan Dan using the hashtag, hashtag Mary Brown's mailbag. WFX started and ended in 2010. Why didn't Mike start something else or even go to work for a place like PCW or CWE in the aftermath? Oh, great question. Well, I had burnt bridges with, with PCW around that time. So that's why I didn't go work there. Uh, and CWE and the owner of WFX, Jeff Dick weren't on the best of terms and I remained somewhat loyal to Jeff Dick for a period of time. Uh, so where are, I'm pretty happy with some of the work I did between 2011 and 2013, uh, but it was non-wrestling, but I put together some mega events. Like uh, we did a big brother party twice where th- thanks to a friendship we had with uh, Nick Starcevic who had been on the show Big Brother. We were able to get three cast members from Big Brother to come to Winnipeg and do a cast party where fan, fans of the show could come and watch it on the big screen. And it was really interactive. It was a lot of fun and very, very successful. And then I put together a deal in 2013, UFC came to Winnipeg. And uh, I put together a deal where you could win tickets to go to the event with the UFC Hall of Famer. Now, originally, that was going to be Ken Shamrock. But Ken was a bit of a flake who didn't like to return phone calls. So uh, Jeff Dick said to me, you should contact Matt Hughes, UFC Hall of Famer. So when we contacted Hughes, I said, uh, listen, the deal is that someone's going to win a contest to sit with you at UFC. And he said, okay, where would I be sitting? And I said, oh, we'll just get good tickets. And he said, I cannot sit in the general public at a UFC event. You don't understand. Yeah. He said, I have two tickets in Dana White's section. I just have to call and say, I'm going to be at any UFC event. And I'm guaranteed two tickets in Dana White's section. So he said the contest winner can sit with me in the front row of Dana White's section. So the winner of the contest ended up, they got to go in a limo with Matt Hughes to the UFC event in Winnipeg, sat front row in Dana White's section. I actually got to sit in Dana White's section for a brief period. And Jeff Dick and I sat right next to Dragon Den Shark Tank star Robert Hershevik, which was quite cool. I will let you know. There's actually a picture of Jeff Dick with Robert Hershevik. He was nice enough to pose for it. Um, So, yeah, that was an amazing, amazing event, amazing uh, promotion. So from 2010 to 2013, I did not miss wrestling too much. Uh, And also Jeff Dick had always said that he was, you know, if the opportunity arose, he was going to restart WFX. So I had no reason. And to be honest, what WFX was trying to do at that time was a lot like what uh, Impact's trying to do now and what um, NWA and MLW are trying to do. And there was no other opportunity like that for me to jump into. Everything else would have been just indie work where you come in and you book and, and there was no opportunity for good compensation. So that's why I didn't, I didn't jump on anything else. I had no aspirations to own or take on that kind of stress. So I just sat, I sat on the sidelines until I started a podcast, I guess. All right. Well, to follow up to that, you mentioned uh, that you, you'd stayed loyal to, to Jeff Dick dur- during that time. Did that affect your relationship with somebody like Danny Duggan? Uh, I know you guys are tight yeah. now, but did it, did it cause issues? Uh, to a degree, Danny and I've always been cool. Like we can get on the phone and, as you saw last week on the show, episode 29, we laugh and joke around and it's very, very natural chemistry. So it did, there was a little bit of dissension because, you know, 
him and Jeff were at war. They went to court and stuff like that. And I remained quietly loyal to Jeff. Um, but no, Danny and I are still cool. Um, yeah, minor dissension, nothing too, too major. All right. Uh, let's move on to number three. This one came into our Instagram. You can send a question there as well. Uh, total B she's on Instagram. This one's from Bobby. What is your funniest or favorite Ernie Todd story? Oh, I knew it was coming. Um, <laughs> my funniest or favorite Ernie Todd. Okay. So I never liked Ernie Todd. I never had a great, I can't think of one time where him and I got along at all, where I left going, Oh, Ernie's not so bad. Uh, I was immature. He was a prick. He was old when he got around the business. He acted even older. He always was trying to assert his authority or he was kind of a bully to me because I was a teenager, quite honestly. Right. Um, I would say my favorite is anytime that fucker fell flat in his ass and please beep that, that feaser <laughs> fell flat in his ass. Um, and my favorite is actually, uh, we were amateur shooting in a, in a training ring. And it basically the deal was you got down, you grappled. And if you could get the guy down, you won and you continue to the next guy. And Ernie saw this. And of course he fancied himself a bit of a tough guy and a shooter. And this young referee, I think his name was Jason Yakabo was, uh, was tap was winning. He was beating people. I think he'd beaten Royce. I think he held on for three in a row. So Ernie's like, Oh, I'll get in there. And he, he gets in there. And he did say, just careful, don't touch the neck. He did say this. I did hear him say it. But after Yakimo put him down, Ernie said, no, no, I'm not down. I'm not down. And then everyone's like, yeah, Ernie, you were down. So then Ernie immediately says, I told him, don't touch the teasing neck. I told him. Well, he didn't listen. And then Ernie started like throwing chairs and getting, he was furious because he claimed that Jason went after his neck, but Jason didn't. Jason just beat him cleanly and Ernie's ego couldn't take it. So my favorite story is Ernie falling flat in his ass and uh, looking like an absolute moron in front of the crew. That is a great one. That's a great memory. And I've got no follow-ups to that one this time. Um, this one's coming in from a fan of the show, Travis, and he's a friend of mine. So he actually texted this question to me. Uh, does Mike well, get... Sorry, go ahead. Wow, we're on rapid fire today. We're going to have a 15-minute episode oh, if I'm not careful. Oh, it's okay. It's okay, buddy. I got some follow-ups. So uh, does okay. Mike get any perks for working for the Bombers, like tickets to the Grey Cup? Okay, so... Uh, okay. So I misunderstood. Okay. I understand the question. Do I get perks? Yes, I absolutely do. Um, so last year I got selected to go to great cup 2021 in Hamilton with that. I got seven days worth of clothing that was official bomber sideline gear, which was very valuable. Um, I got a great cup commemorative, uh, flapper hat, which is like a toque. It's very warm. I got uh, a lot of meals covered. I got so many, actually, so many great little perks. Um, for working for the Bombers every day, you get uh, a great discount on merchandise. I get tickets to games that I often piece off to some of my good friends. I'm not allowed to sell them. I'm not allowed to, like, and I obviously can't use them personally because I'm at the game. But you know what the biggest perk is, is the people I've met. Leonard Asper I met at a Bomber game. Uh, I met Chris Cuthbert, who's the best hockey play-by-play -play and was the best CFL play-by-play -play guy in the world. Um, I've met, uh, who else have I met that was kind of famous? Um, well, John Hoffnagel, like CFL personnel that are pretty, pretty neat. Wally Buono. Gary Lawless and I were initially quite, he's works for the Las Vegas Golden Knights now. Him and I were initially enemies. Now we're kind of cool, which is really a neat story that I could go into another time. 
Uh, working bomber games has been a tremendous, I, I love it. It's part of why I don't have the great ambition to promote wrestling shows is because my career as a wrestling uh promoter and producer and being involved with wrestling that set the tone for me to do events like the big brother parties and UFC. And then when I got on with the bombers and working backstage before Canada life center at concerts like Brad Paisley, I was never starstruck, even though I was starstruck, like in my mind, I was like, Oh my God, that's Brad Paisley. But I knew not to sell. So wrestling kind of set the foundation for me to have the opportunities I've had before that I was a TV sports anchor briefly but wrestling really, it, it's such a hodgepodge of personalities and um, you meet so many different people, personality types in wrestling. So if you can make it in wrestling in terms of being able to commingle and, and get, get along with people, and sometimes you won't get along with people. Wrestling actually trained me on how to handle conflict and needless conflict with other people because in wrestling... Unfortunately, a guy like me, I would have a lot of needless conflict with people, uh, a.k.a. Adam Knight, because I did it my way for the greater good of whatever my vision was. And sometimes that doesn't align with other people who, are, who just don't see my vision or whatever. And I loved my time in wrestling. I love my time at the Bombers for all the perks I do get. But a lot of those perks are personal satisfactions and not actual like here's an extra $50 or, Hey, if you're going to great cup, you can, I was offered free tickets to great cup this year. Um, but obviously I did not go cause I sitting in the cold doesn't always appeal to me. Okay. So l- a little follow up on that. Uh, you, you've mentioned all the great things with the bombers. Do you have anything that you can think of that like, is like the most, the worst thing you had to do for the bombers or anything with that, the bombers? Yeah. Anything that's been really dis- distasteful. And I've got to follow up, not to that, but to, uh, to you talking about the celebrity stories as well. But yeah, just, I, that's just kind of popped to my mind. Is there anything that's been like really distasteful or something you really didn't like? Like, did you have to work out in the cold at any point and, you know, work? Oh yeah. Or? Yeah. Last year at the great, last year in Hamilton, they said it was going to be plus five. So I dressed for plus five Winnipeg and plus five Hamilton. When the sun went down, the wind got up is a very wet wind. I was free. I almost froze to death, but I wouldn't let anybody know I was cold. Um, so yeah. That, that, that stadium's right by the water. Is it not? I don't know. I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't sitting there looking at a map going, okay, this, <laughs> this big, great lake is going to cause this wind that's going to make me freeze. Um, but there were guys on the, on the sidelines in shorts and the players certainly weren't dressed any warmer than I was, sure. but I was cold as heck. Um, no, there hasn't been anything that I've ever had to do that. I was like, Oh, this is, this is crap. Like yeah. the work I do there, even like the event prep stuff, which is physical manual labor is, stuff that I actually totally enjoy doing. So no, uh, as a whole, on a whole, I love it. Some of the, sometimes you deal with personalities that you kind of have to work, work on to try to understand where they're coming from. Um, but for the most part, it's 99% positive. Okay. So you mentioned that you, you've had an opportunity in your life to be around a, a fair amount of, uh, I guess you, for lack of a better term, famous people, uh, backstage yeah. at different things like that. And you mentioned that you, you, you try to no sell, um, just, just your own like fandom. Is there ever been a time where yeah. you just couldn't contain it? Because I being from the broadcast industry myself, that was always a, a tenant. Like you just, you know, sell, you treat them like a normal yeah. person. Uh, but has your face ever told the story, for example? Yeah. So after, so in 2017, I broke my foot. I had a avulsion fracture of the, whatever the bone is on the outside of my ankle. And I twisted it and it broke. 
it fractured and I didn't know it was fractured because it happened two hours before I was to get to work at Canada Life Center. It, it happened and I was walking with a terrible limp and it was backstage at a Brad Paisley concert. And so the building was pretty quiet during the day and I didn't know he, if he was in the building or not. You never really can tell because they're sometimes on a tour bus or sometimes they're in a dressing room. Sometimes they're not even in the building. And all of a sudden I see him being, he had a handler and that handler was taking him to go do an interview. And so he walked literally four feet away from me and he stopped and he said, that's a hell of a limp you have there. <laughs> and I was like, thanks, Kips, but I didn't say that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think I twisted my ankle pretty bad, but don't worry, I, I'll, I'm fine. And he was like, okay. And he just kept going, right? And I was like, he's probably thinking, because my job is to provide a layer of protection for his tour bus, right? Right. So he's probably thinking to himself, what is that guy with that terrible lip going to do to protect me if all hell breaks loose? So, uh, yeah, that was the one time where I was like, I kept the conversation short. I didn't like, oh, Brad, I'm such a big fan. I was actually, that day I, I was backstage and I saw a something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard's shirt backstage from one of the, from one of the traveling stagehands, like oh, really? Lodi's. And I was actually more starstruck by that because I thought that was that cool. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it's pretty easy. I did, I have turned down an assignment once I was going to be working backstage at Tim and Faith, Tim McGraw and Faith. No. And I actually, at the time was very, very like the biggest Tim McGraw fan. So I was like, listen, I don't think I could work that one. And, and my boss said, why? And I said, because to be very honest, if Tim McGraw comes up and says hi to me, I can't promise I won't hump his leg. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Another time I remember I was work, I was working uh, a metal detector at a NHL game and my job was to put all the visiting teams through the metal detector so they could go to the locker room. And it was like 7.15 in the morning and I'm half asleep and all of a sudden someone drops a money clip with so much American money and I'm like, okay, it's got to be one of the players and I look up and it's Patrick Waugh. Oh my God. And I was like, I, I perk up for a second, get up and immediately put him through the metal detector, no issue. And that was an like that one was tough because hockey players have been my heroes, especially the ones when I grew up. So, uh, yeah, that was another one. Another good story about that is, uh, everyone thinks John Tortorella is a dick. John Tortorella was not a dick in my experience with him. Ed Olchek was, but not John Tortorella. John Tortorella, one time John Tortorella is going through the line and it's like, there's six deep and it took me a little bit to get to him. He gets up to the front and I said, Mr. Tortorella, sorry, it took so long. And he said, you have an important job to do. I want you to make sure you're doing it right. You are. I don't care if it takes you an hour to get me through here. Thank you for everything you're doing. And I was so appreciative of John Tortorella for that. All right. Well, Mike, you know, since this is a mega Mary Brown's mailbag, I just wanted to let you know that uh, we are getting close to the time where we might have a, have a bit of a meal. It's, it's getting to that time. And I, I cannot stop thinking about the Nashville Mary. Have you had one yet? <laughs> Why do you have to bring up Mary Brown's food in the day where I haven't had lunch yet? I'm dying for lunch. I have not had a Nashville Mary, but you know what? There's many hours left today. Maybe today is the day I'm going to head right down to Mary Brown's. Well, I'm going to tempt you a little bit because I want to tell you what that what a Nashville Mary is, just in case you know the uninformed have not been there. It's a it's a chicken breast, a grade A Canadian chicken breast. Their signature recipe, cooked golden brown and tossed with hot honey Nashville sauce. That's the important part. It's the hot honey. I don't know what it is. <laughs> But I love it. So there you go, Mike. Now you're thoroughly hungry, and I know where we're meeting. We're meeting at, uh, at Mary Brown's. Has anyone ever told you you're an effing easehole? <laughs> I tell yes. you I'm hungry. I tell you I haven't had lunch. Do not continue to go on with the menu at that point. 
mute me so I don't hear that. That was very unfair of you to do that. I, I know, I know. I'm I'm in the same boat. All right, let's move on now. Uh, let's see, Travis, uh, that was question four. Question five from Alex. Tony Khan badly wants to be recognized as Dave Meltzer's Booker of the Year. Did Mike ever want the same recognition? Absolutely not. Not. Yeah. Um, so in 2010, Jeff, geez, we used Shane Madison, wanted to correspond with Dave Meltzer and make sure that Dave knew what we were doing. So he would talk about it in the Observer. And he was like, do you want me to send anything into the Observer? And I was like, absolutely not. The reason being... Uh, Dave Meltzer always has his own slant on what he covers. And, and that's fair. Like if you're, if you're, if you watch something and you don't like it, you have a right to say you didn't like something, but for him to offer an opinion and say, well, you know what they're doing isn't, you know, I'm not impressed or anything like that without actually watching and seeing the product or giving us a fair shake was not at all appealing to me. So I wanted to fly under Dave's radar. I really was focused in 2010, which would have been the only year where I would have even thought about trying to be considered on that level. Um, In 2010, I wanted to fly under the radar. My goal was to make sure that the people who watched WFX Overload on America One or whatever these other syndicated stations were that were carrying it, I wanted to make sure that they were getting behind it. And we could tell by social media interaction, we could tell by um, the amount of people that were talking about the product on social media that, uh, and the feedback we were getting that it was penetrating in certain markets, New York and Los Angeles. And, uh, I remember in 2010, I never wanted Dave Meltzer to talk about us, but I went to Scranton, Pennsylvania with Charlie Haas and it was a weird deal. There was a wrestling show and there was a movie and, and there was a guy that wanted to meet with WFX management because he wanted to broker a major television deal. And he thought our product was because we were under the radar and every like he thought we were the, the group that he could probably help the most to get a, a decent television deal. So Jeff Dick couldn't get into the United States at that point. So he flew me to Scranton to meet with the guy and it was to actually start to set up a, a, a very serious negotiation with a, with a big network. And, um, but anyway, in Scranton to get to the point of the story, I met Rob Feinstein and RF video and Rob's, you know, Rob's got a hell of a profile in the wrestling business. And Rob said, hey, you're the WFX guy. Yeah, we get that Friday nights in Pennsylvania. I watch it quite frequently. Good job. And that meant way more to me than anything Dave Meltzer would have said. So, no, I never aspired to be the Wrestling Observer Booker of the Year because it's not, it's Dave just deciding, oh, this guy's really doing good. And it's honestly, I, I don't think that there's much rhyme or reason to it. Okay, fair enough. And th- yeah, that would be really cool to, to meet uh, Rob Feinstein. He's a, he's a pretty cool guy from all, all accounts. Um, okay, sure. moving on to question six, this one came into the inbox and it was not signed, but the email address is Keaton potatoes at AOL.com. Obviously fake. Um, here we go. Why didn't Mike punch Adam Knight back? He never says it was a fight. He just says that Adam Knight punched him. So why didn't you punch Adam Knight back, Mike? Okay. So draw your own conclusions. My big grievance with Adam Knight is that he punched me. I did not punch him back. I had no reason to punch him back. I had no heat with the, with the man. And he shouldn't have had heat with me either. He invented heat in his own head. He scapegoated me for a rib that was pulled by Danny Duggan, even though Danny Duggan loves to blame me. 
So when you're ribbed real bad and you don't know who, who pulled the rib, you don't start throwing live rounds at people. You maybe fire off a couple of ribs back at all the suspects so that, you know, you, you feel you've even the score. Now, if Adam Knight had thrown a punch at every suspect, then I would say, okay, well, he's a hothead and he's a moron. Now I just say he's a hothead and he's a moron. Um, <laughs> no so, what happened, so what happened was I was extending my hand to shake his hand. So I'm reaching out with a handshake and only reason he never clocked me. Everyone says he held up. No, he never held up. What it was is because he overemphasized his swing. He started at his belt line. He went over his shoulder like he was throwing a baseball the same way we were taught to throw a punch in training. So I could spot, hey, he's going to, he's planning to hit me here. So I moved in as tight as I could so that he couldn't connect because I was walking up a set of stairs because we were at a bar called Alive. That's the only reason he didn't clock me. Now, at that point, I guess if I had really been on the ball, knowing this guy's about to punch me, I could have let in with a punch to the nuts or something. But in the end, so what, nobody really, I, I haven't elaborated on this story. The bar had it on surveillance camera. Right away, the manager of the bar came to me, offered me a drink because his employee, as far as he could tell, his employee just punched a patron for no reason. So he, he said, if you want to call the police, we'll make sure the surveillance camera footage is available to you. If you, he didn't want me to sue the bar, obviously, right? right? I said, no, I know the guy. The guy is stupid. The guy's a moron. But I don't want him charged with a crime over this. He's just a stupid moron. And the manager assured me that Adam Knight was fired. Well, Adam Knight quit because right after the altercation was over, he went right down the stairs and out of the building. He did not wait a minute because he knew he screwed up. But rather than be a man about it now and say, hey, bygones are bygones, shake hands, he would, he would rather say to a fan who says, like Davidson says, hi, who? Like he doesn't know me because he's traumatized by my existence. That's why he <laughs> says that. That's okay. exactly why. Or when Dave Cote sends him a tweet and says, what are you going on the Tobishi show? The guy could never do it because in his mind, he knows that if we end up in a, in a, in a debate or a exchange of wits, that I will, I, my timing will be way better than his and that I'll deliver better than him. And that's not ego. That's reality. But he needs to let it go. I don't hate him. He punched me. I don't hate him. He hates me. That's his problem, not mine. I talk about it freely because I think it's funny. That's one of my favorite stories. Adam Knight. Every time I tell an Adam Knight story, I light up and glow. Like when he slapped the fan. I love Adam Knight stories. It's true. Mike does. I can attest to that because he'll come in and he'll have an Adam Knight story. And it's like a child uh, on the first, <laughs> first day of Christmas. And I'll be like, oh, I think we're a little Adam Knight heavy. And he'll be like, oh, come on. And so we, we will end up telling it. But uh, to, to follow up to that, would you even get into a tussle with Adam Knight or would you retreat? Because Adam Knight's a big guy. Like a lot of people might not know. He's a he's a pretty big guy. He's What is he, 6'3"? 6'4", 6'5". Yeah, like he's a... 280. Yeah. He's probably near 300 pounds, although I, I've heard he's trimming up right now. Congratulations to him for that. I know he works hard at it. And you're, like, you're, no. you're 5'10", right? 5'10", maybe 6 feet? Five eleven, five eleven, okay. and I'm about you know I'm a little under I'm a little under three hundred pounds, quite a bit under, <laughs> quite a bit under, I'm a little I'm over two hundred pounds. Yeah. So he'd have a size advantage, but understand something. So the nature of my work, I work with foster kids, which you have to get a uh, a physical abuse registry. I have to um, for my security and private investigator license. I have to have I have to have criminal record checks, 
I can't really be going around getting in tussles here. Like, honestly, no doubt. so I can't just go and have a throw. Now, let me be, let me re, let me state. I'm not going to win too many butt kicking contests. I never claim to have, but I, it also would be reckless for me to get into a shoot because I could, if, if I get charged with a crime, I could lose my fuck. I could lose all my jobs. Yeah. So no, I'm not going to get in a shoot with Adam Knight. If Adam Knight is hoping to shoot with Mike Davidson, you're barking up the wrong tree. Now, if Adam Knight thinks, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to throw it Mike Davidson and I'm going to maul him like a pit bull. Guess what, Adam Knight, in my current, in my current state of having to worry about my, my work and everything else in my career, I probably would have the cops called if you jump me or punch me when I'm in no, when I have absolutely no willingness to fight you. That's not me being a pussy. That's me being a 43 year old person who has a career to think about. So if Adam Knight has in his mind that the next time he sees me, he's going to throw a punch, the kick in the nuts isn't going to be my foot to his nuts. It's going to be the the criminal justice system dealing with him after. All right, fair enough. Let's move on to question seven from Jason on the Mary Brown's mailbag, the mega edition. How would Andrew Shellcross describe Mike Davidson? And I'm, I think maybe if I'm reading between the lines here, he's kind of asking, if, are you guys good? I I will always be good with Andrew, in my opinion. Uh, I love Andrew, but here's how he would describe me. Piece of shit! (laughs) Well, that's how he describes everybody. Uh, He would describe me as having flaws with my memory, because anytime I talk about PCW, I clearly have a memory gap, because him and I don't have the same reflection of history, uh, especially when it pertains to when we both ran the company. Um, So he would call me a piece of shit. He would... uh, say that a lot of false hype because he used to always say that you know when AWE was out drawing them that it was apples to oranges because he was drawing hardcore fans and I was drawing uh, casual fans so his fans were better than mine because (laughs) hardcores are better than casuals in his opinion (laughs) he would say Kenny Omega liked him better than me (laughs) of course he also pandered to Kenny Omega in an unhealthy fashion Um, (laughs) that might get me heat but leave that in there yeah Um, he, I love Andrew. I don't know how he would describe me. That would be a great question to ask Andrew Shellcross, and I guarantee the answer would be extremely entertaining. Andrew is one of those guys that he, I could have a simple conversation about the change of weather. Like it went from sunny in the morning to cloudy in the afternoon, and he would say something that would have me bent over laughing because he's just a naturally sarcastic person with amazing timing. He is tremendously funny. Um, okay, yeah. so this one's uh, question number eight from Dave on the Mary Brown's Mailbag, the Mega Edition. Uh, was Mike ever criminally investigated as part of the whole WFX Jeff Dick thing? That's a good question. Uh, no, it's not. It's kind of heavy and it's kind of personal. Don't you? It sure, it sure. <laughs> that's what we like around here. I mean, I like. Uh, criminal investigation. Okay, so that's a very well-worded question because... Most people like to start a rumor, oh, he's charged. Mike got charged with Jeff Dick and Mike Davidson are going to jail together. Um, no, I was never, ever criminally investigated, nor should I have been, um, because Jeff Dick wasn't actually... Jeff Dick's problems with the with Canadian Revenue Agency, which is what ultimately led to his dealings with the law, had nothing to do with WFX wrestling. It had to do with... One World United. Now people say, that was the parent company. Actually, it was not. WFX operated 
independently of One World United and was sponsored by One World United. I know it sounds like semantics, but my role was not anything that would have gotten me criminally investigated. And for anybody listening who likes to say, oh yeah, WFX, they left a bad taste in people's mouths, they didn't pay bills or whatever, completely not true. Everything got paid for. You'll never hear somebody say, oh yeah, WFX stiffs me. Nope, don't think that happened. And if you do want to say that, Tell me exactly what the situation was and we'll go from there. Um, there were people who maybe worked in the office. There was a situation there. Okay, as, as I think about it. But wrestlers or wrestling personnel never, ever were they ever subjected to any kind of malfeasance. And I was never, I think I talked to Canadian Revenue Agency once and it was over the phone and it was not a questioning. It was they wanted clarity on something. And it might have even been about my personal finances, although I think it had to do with uh, my employment with with Jeff Dick at that time. All right, fair enough, Mike. And you know what? We do have some great sponsors on the show, so we're going to step aside right now, and we're going to come back with more from the mega edition of the Mary Brown's Mailbag after this. This episode of the Total Bees Cheese Show is powered by FirstRow.ca, Canada's online collectible store where you'll find the coolest sports cards, autographs from your favorites, action figures, and of course, wrestling collectibles galore. As a loyal Total Bees Cheese Show listener, you can get 10% off your order using the code BEESCHEESE. Again, the code is B-E-E-Z. S-H-E-E-Z, one word, and receive 10% off your order. Firstrow.ca, Canada's online collectible store. The Total Bees She's Show releases new episodes every Monday. Follow the Total Bees She's Show on Twitter at Total Bees She's, on Instagram at Total Bees She's, or search us on Facebook, Total Bees She's. All right, Mike, it's time for the final two questions from the Mary Brown's Mega Mailbag. And you can always get at us on Twitter at TotalBeeShees, on Instagram at TotalBeeShees. Of course, we've got our inbox open. And on Twitter, use the hashtag, hashtag Mary Brown's Mailbag and at us while you're at it too. Put the little at symbol. Okay, this one's coming in from Clinton and it's in our inbox. If Mike was in charge of the NWA or Impact Wrestling, how would he make them more competitive with WWE or AEW? That's a good one. Yeah, that's a great question. I would look at marquee talent and how could I get my hands on it right now if I was Impact. Leonard Asper, my friend, as I like to say. Um, I would figure out what is happening on the CM Punk situation, although that's a work. He's going to be back on AEW TV in the spring. Mark my words. But well, if it's that's a spring a shoot, now. Well, yeah, because he's healing from a, whatever the pectoral muscle is. The elite are coming back. They're back on the pay-per-view, and they're back now. And trust me, watch. CM Punk's coming back. But back to my point. If CM Punk is done, and if they do release him, which is not going to happen, but let's play the if game. If I was Leonard Asper, I would figure out a compensation package that would be viable to get CM Punk to do four matches a year, of which you don't. it does not matter who he wrestles or what the storyline is. 
He has to do promos on TV and you do it the old Hulk Hogan way where Hulk Hogan talks about stuff on TV and wrestles matches on house shows. In this case, it would be CM Punk talks about it on TV and then wrestles on the pay-per-view. Keep it simple. Don't keep it a formula, but that's what I would do. I would make, I would look at who the marquee talent is that I could get and I would build four events in 2023 around that talent. There isn't that many huge names. Batista's not going to go to Impact Wrestling. No. Um, neither would The Rock. So you, you can, there's a lot that you can cross off, right? But if you, CM Punk, to me, seems almost viable when he leaves, if he's not leaving, but if he didn't work for AEW again, he's likely not going to WWE, and he may still have a thirst to either make a lot of money or wrestle whatever he wants to do, have his kind of fun, make it simple for him so he doesn't get hot and go on and cut promos about the way you run your, your ship and just do that and let him turn, let him turn his appearances into business. Um, NWA is hopeless at this point. I hate to say that two years ago when they launched NWA power, I believed that they were going to get a TV deal and I believe that they were primed and ready to grow. They've pissed that away and that has nothing to do with all this leaving and has nothing to do with them putting Tyrese over or whatever his name is. It just, they did not grow when they were primed to grow. It's unfortunate. It's not a slight on Billy Corgan, but they've lost their momentum and likely will not get it back. Um, Other things Impact could do, in my opinion, is they need to identify ways that they can run shows on weekends where they can draw 1,000 to 1,500 fans. I believe Winnipeg's a viable market for that. I also think that Edmonton and, and Calgary could be viable markets for that. I think that Toronto and Windsor could be viable markets for that. Quebec could be viable markets for that in Canada. I think that places in the States where they're, they know where their TV is strongest because they own the TV network that they are carried on figure it out, start running more shows and therefore your talent can either make more money or the company can leverage more return on the money that they're investing in their talent. And then they can take some of the revenue and, uh, and invest it in getting better talent. They have good talent. They have good production. Impact is the number three brand. It could, it will never, it can't compete with Tony Khan right now because Tony Khan has an endless supply of money and he's not motivated by the, by the balance sheet. He's actually motivated by his personal vanity of running a wrestling company. So you can't compete with that. So you just have to continue to let Tony Khan make mistakes. He made plenty of them in 2022. I think he's going to continue to make more of them in 2023. Eventually Tony Khan might alienate Kenny Omega and then that would make Kenny Omega the biggest free agent in the world, although he would likely go to WWE. Um, another thing, you have access. You have the Fight Network, uh, Access AXS, the TV network in the States. If I was Impact, I would be using those assets to leverage a deal with New Japan. New Japan used to be on the Access. It was a good deal for New Japan. I would be leveraging my television network to get a deal where New Japan provides you with some international talent. And also works closely with Impact to help them with their pay-per-views and things like that. That's what I would be doing if I was in charge of of Impact. But I do know with Scott Demore there, he's thought of all of these ideas. He's probably done his due diligence and the homework. He knows better than I do. 
Okay, and and to speak to what you mentioned before about the NWA being hopeless, yeah, I think they've they've gotten to that point. And I do put it on Billy Corgan. I, I love Billy Corgan. I love his music, and I really like the way he was booking NWA initially. But their biggest problem, in my opinion, is they're trying to hang with the cool kids now, and they're not dancing with the ones that brought them to the show. So they're bringing in this talent, and they're trying to put on what is a little bit of a AEW WWE light. And it's not working anymore. It's not an alternative. Uh, and that's just my opinion on it. Yeah, when they launched NWA Power, they had an alternative feel. It was a throwback to studio wrestling. And they and they seemed to be using better talent. Like they were using the Rock and Roll Express. They, and I remember talking to my buddy, Good Time Gordon. And he said, yeah, my dad's been watching NWA Power. He loves it. Yeah. They were getting, they were getting the older generation fans what they need. And what, all they needed to do honestly, is go back to the cookie cutter formula of the 1980s. You know, I saw a picture of the Road Warriors the other day, Legion of Doom, and it had them coming up from a subway station on the stairs. Right. And I thought, there is no wrestler or wrestling character that is cool like the Road Warriors were in the 80s. And that's asking a lot to even be able to pull that off. But nobody's even aspiring to be the Road Warriors of the 1980s. No one's trying to be the Ultimate Warrior of 1990. No one's trying to be Sting of the early nineties or, you know, whenever that stopped being cool to paint up your face and be that cool superhero, nobody's trying it. And somebody needs to retro it right now, bring it out. And a company needs to push the hell out of the guy that does it. Okay. And you know, just to, to build on that a little bit, I was talking with uh, Travis friend of the show about the NWA and, uh, and about just uh, old time wrestling in general. And I, I said to him, uh, and this was about uh, Jim Cornette because we were talking a little bit about him. But we, he said, you know, what's your what's your take on him? And I said, you know, Jim Cornette, I think he's absolutely right when it comes to booking, but he's wrong about talent. So, in my opinion, uh, the NWA could, like you said, go back to the old style booking, update the concepts a little bit, but keep it, you know, blood feuds and you know the stuff that made wrestling great. I think they could do that, but I, yeah, I think they're, it's too, they're too far gone or, well, this is another question. Could you, could you turn around NWA? What would you do to turn them around? What would I do if I was paying over the NWA? Yeah. I'd go back to member promotions all over North America and I'd use that to feed me talent. Uh, so I would, I would immediately start the membership system again right. uh, with Billy Corgan calling the shots and they're basically buying a, a license to be part of the NWA as opposed to a membership territory, like a franchise. Um, and I would be, I would be investing the money, the revenue I got from that, I'd be using to keep a guy like Nick Aldis to be my traveling world champion. Um, they need a, if NWA is going to be successful, they need a world champion that people go, Hey, that's impressive. Matt Cordona might've been that guy. I liked Trevor Murdoch, but I also liked Trevor Murdoch. If he was losing the belt back to Nick Aldis, you take Nick Aldis out of that. And that's a major blow to that company. Let's see who their next guy is going to be in terms of the talent they want to push. All right, we got our final question here, Mike, from one of the boys. That's just how it's signed. Uh, how big? Oh, no. How big of an asshole? And I'll have to beep that out. Were Mike Davidson and ease Shane Easehole? Easehole. How big of an easehole were Mike Davidson and Shane Madison in the TRCW PCW AWE era? Okay, well, I can't really speak for for Shane Madison because. I don't think he was ever an easeful. Um, that's so I, I had times where I was a complete douche, and I've admitted that. Um, 
I, I don't know. I, I think the motivation I, there was times where I was a bully to talent, like, and not like Bill Watts bully. Like I wasn't threatening to beat them up, but I kind of pick on them a little bit more to get my point across. Like if I'd say, okay, you know, Hey, you need to change your color scheme. And then they came back the next week with the same color scheme. Cause it's not like you can just order gear and switch your guys. Didn't have four sets of gear. They had one set of gear they wore all the time. So I'd say, okay, Hey, that color scheme looks bad. Next week they come back and they say, oh, look at Mr. Red and Black. Like, I, what did I say about that color scheme? I keep mentioning it like a dick. I could be a dick. Like, there's a reason why people, you know, anytime you hear a story of me being a dick, if I ever hear it and there's substance to it or it's based in reality or fact, I'll own it. Um, but, and poor Adam Knight's sitting there going, well, why aren't you owning the rope could be ripped? Because I didn't do it, man. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I could be a dick. I, and it wasn't just a power to power trip. It was just, that was the way the locker room was run. Like back in the day, pro sports coaches could be dicks to players. But when, when the players did something right, the, the coach would pump them up. Right. That's all it was. All right. Fair enough. And this one is going to come out of left field. This is a bonus question. Okay. I, told, I told you the last one was the last one, but uh, you know what? I, we've got one more in the inbox. Let me just open it up. It. It's from Johnny United. Given the state of the current independent landscape, Mike, if you were going to run again and you could run anywhere in Canada, what's a market that you would target? Winnipeg. Okay. Of course it would be Winnipeg. And let me tell you why it would be Winnipeg. Because Winnipeg is the center of the country and it has per capita. So there's, it's a market of 700,000 and approximate, I think a WWE show draws seven to 9,000 for TV. Okay. So that means 1% of the population comes to wrestling. So what I would be targeting if I was going to run an independent show is I'd be looking to grow my market to get 10% of what WWE gets. So if they get 7,000 or 9,000, I want, I want to draw 10% of their dedicated audience over to my show and they draw the mainstream fans. So if I can get 700 of their fans, that's those moms that take their kids. That's the fans that watch it on TV and decide, Hey, let's go check it out. I want 10% of those fans. And then I want the dedicated fans that I can grow through the, the appeal of the talent I use to get up to 900,000 fans. I don't know that a thousand fans in independent wrestling is realistic. A lot of venues are hold 250. So how the hell would they ever draw a thousand if they could? But that would be the goal is to look at a market that WWE draws fairly well in and try to draw 10% of what they can draw. That That's always been the formula. Back in AWE, when we were drawing close to 1,000 people, WWE wasn't drawing 10,000 at the at the Canada Life Center. They were drawing like five or 6,000. So we were drawing maybe 20% of their market at that point. Um, it's all in, you got to have a, a strong marketing plan, a strategy. You got to know exactly how you're going to position your, your marketing. And you, you, you're what you're actually competing with when you run independent wrestling isn't wrestling. It's the local baseball team. It's the local football team, the CFL football team. It's the NHL team. It's the AHL team. It's the WHL team. It's the movie theater. It's anything that makes people leave their house for entertainment you're competing with. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get them to alter their spend from the movie theater, from the bowling alley, 
from the whatever, and you're trying to get them to bring it to your show, your live event, your, there's interaction. What you have to figure out, what to be successful as an independent promoter is you have to figure out how to get the 14-year-old fans that are at home, the 12-year-old fans that are at home, the 9-year-old fans that are at home. You got to get them to find out about your product and then you got to get them to nag their parents to take them. And it's not even dad that's going to take them. In most cases, it's always going to be moms. Market hard to moms. They're the ones that are going to make the choice. Oh, I can take Junior and his little buddy, Sammy, to the show for 20, or it's cost me $35 for a night out. I'm going to do that because I think they'll like it. Those moms are always wondering, what can I do with little Junior that he's going to like on a, on a Friday night for two hours that he's going to talk about all day Saturday? I know it to be true. That's what you have to market. You have to figure out those moms and get them to make their buying decision on your product. And that's, I, I would pick Winnipeg. I just, it's the market I know. I love what Justin does in Edmonton, um, Harlan Abbott. I like what's happening in BC. Uh, I've talked with Dave Cote a lot about the Saskatchewan market. We've talked about it on the show. Toronto's a strong market. Danny Duggan knows all about which markets in Canada are good. There's underserviced markets in northern Alberta like Grand Prairie and, and Fort McMurray, uh, Prince Albert, or Prince, sorry, Prince George in BC, Prince Albert in Saskatchewan. Those markets could be viable. But if you're building your company and you need your strongest market, I would think Winnipeg is the perfect market to build from. There's always been a saying in marketing that if you can make it in Winnipeg, you can make it anywhere. That's why McDonald's used to test market a lot of products in Winnipeg. 7-Eleven is the slurpy capital, even though Winnipeg is one of the coldest cities in, in the world. But our slurpees sell like crazy. If you can make it in Winnipeg, you can make it anywhere. You just have to be creative and you've got to be consistent and aggressive on how you're going to make it. Fair enough, Mike. And, and with that, we're drawing to the end of the Mega Mary Brown's mailbag. And what's on my mind right now is some Nashville taters from Mary Brown's. Hey, you could have you could have let me go before you wanted to talk about food. I have not eaten today. I, I haven't um, either. Let me what? tell you about these taters, though, Mike. Sliced in no, store. No, 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 no. Breaded okay, and seasoned me, in store to perfection. And then they amp it up with that hot honey Nashville glaze. Okay. So I'm now going to be hanging up the phone after Glenn goes and starts to play us out. I'm going to be hanging up the phone and I am going to be going to Mary Brown's and I'm going to, I'll let you know what I had next week. All right. I'll meet you at Mary Brown's. I'll buy you a chicken sandwich. And with that, Glenn Goza is playing us out. Well, the boss called me up and said, come in to work. I just hung up on that slave driving jerk. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. Well, you'd think I'd rather be sweating on a dock or watching somebody use a hammer lock. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, I love to watch the missing link bang his head on a corner post and the rumper bumper butt butt delivered by the ice man. The Freebirds, Roberts, Hayes, and Gardy, but what I like the most is Kerry delivering the Iron Claw as only the Vaughn Erics can? Well, the boss called again, said it's time and a half. You'll come in tonight, and I just had to laugh. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Well, my girlfriend called, and friends, she could be a model for Fredericks of Hollywood, but she was hassling, really hassling. 
said I could come over early and stay real late, but I told her, honey, if we have a date, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Kevin Von Eric, when he's really high and flying, I like to see Ric Flair when he's out there strutting. Andre the Giant must be seven foot nine. Well, I wouldn't miss this for a dozen girls, and I wouldn't miss this for nothing. I said, honey, I hope you ain't hurt. She said, I'm putting on my wrestling shirt. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Last night I dreamed my life was over. There was golden streets and fields of clover and the lights, they were dazzling. I looked for old St. Peter at the pearly gates. I found a note that said, I won't be too late. I'm going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. There's gentleman Chris Adams with his super kick in place. Young Mike Von Erich with his own iron claw. And I'll never forget the classic matches of the 70s and 80s. Two champions, Harley Race and David Von Erich. St. Peter told me as he let me in, from now on every Monday and Friday, Glenn, we're going to wrestling. Going to wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. R-A-S-S-L-I-N, that's wrestling. Boy, if I'd known this was going to happen, I wouldn't have bought those advanced tickets. By the way, St. Pete, are you sure these wings will fit in a ringside seat? Is Fritz coming up here anytime soon?